0: Well, everybody, hello. This is John Boardchain. I'm Senior Pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I am so excited that you are tuning in today. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. In fact, we just uh, got all the way up through verse 9 last week. So we're going to pick up where we left off. And if you have missed any of the prior programs, you can go to calvaryfountain.com. And there you can listen in to all the prior broadcasts, which are now podcasts. And so if you do a little drop down there, there's audio and video and a little drop down box there, and you can go to radio and podcast. Listen there as often as you like, share it with your friends and family. Ultimately, we just want to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And of course, we also have our videos there for each of the Sunday services, which we have a lot more time to to dig into this uh, rich truth. And so if you're looking for a church, uh, perhaps you're in the Colorado Springs area or just outside, we would love to worship with you. Our services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. So this is just a summary of what we try to cover on services there Sunday mornings. And uh, it's a verse-by-verse church. We just love going into God's Word. And so here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's taken us some time to get through this one, uh, as the other chapters uh, have. We've spent some time there as well. And the reason being is because there's a lot for us to understand here. It's It's real easy just simply to read one verse Maybe we understand it, maybe we don't, we move on and, and then we perhaps even forget what we just read. We don't want that. We want you to, to understand and and the application of these very vital Words that God has given to us. They're not just words on paper. This is a living, breathing, active word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. It is of him, it is him. And so we need to know what he is teaching us and telling us to do and be obedient accordingly. So here in First Corinthians chapter eight, it it's real easy to just overlook this chapter because it's talking about food that was sacrificed to idols. And as we talked about a great deal last week, we're actually dealing with what much of this today. It wasn't something they just did back, in, you know, in the first, second century. This is really something that is still even very uh, uh, regularly occurring today. And it's, it's uh, perhaps the names have changed, but ultimately the spirit is still the same. So what we find is that we're doing business with a lot of companies today that are giving part of those funds to things that we don't support. And, and last week I gave you a list of businesses, even, that support Planned Parenthood, but yet we would, you know, quickly point fingers at something else, somebody else were doing this or that, and then failing to realize that uh, we are also actively participating in things we may not support, and rightfully so, and didn't realize it, and... And therefore, here, this, I believe, applies to us today, that here, these individuals, what was happening in the church in Corinth at this particular time, is there was a famine going on, and so Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. He was letting them know that bottom line, it was okay to eat the meat that was used in a pagan practice because believers know the truth. And what I mean by that is that what would happen is that a large portion of an animal, for example, some pieces of that were used in the uh, observance of some sort of pagan cult activity of uh, you know worship unto a false idol, some of it kept by that false priest, and then a significant portion of it then was used and sold in the local markets at a discount. And so here a famine is going on. They're imploring to Paul understanding and instruction in this area because earlier on it had been instructed that they were to abstain from eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And, and what, what we talked about last week was the practice that would go along with that. It wasn't just about the food. It was about an entire observance of partaking in that, and Israel would do that too. Although they would eat this meat that had been sacrificed to idols, they were actually participating in a whole observance unto a false god. And so there's further instruction we needed to understand that, and that's why we take the whole word of God to understand the full context of what we are being taught. And so Paul will actually extrapolate further on this, give them more understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we'll get there uh, probably in a few weeks. But the greater mission, as we know, is not to feed our bellies. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, from Matthew chapter 4 verse 4. So uh, the greater mission then is to live in total service to the King of Kings, even at the expense of our own personal freedom. So as believers in Jesus Christ, We must be sensitive to our spiritual brothers and sisters. So in the end, what difference does it make whether we eat or not? We put such an emphasis on food. And what Jesus Christ demonstrated so powerfully in Matthew chapter 4, later he would talk about being the bread of life in John chapter 6, but he had to demonstrate that we don't live on food. We don't live on bread. We think we do. We are so set in this... In the understanding of things from our senses, what we can touch and feel, and what we say, well, I need food. I need H2O. I need these things to survive. And what the Lord is constantly stretching us out of our barriers and understanding of things is we don't actually live on bread alone. We live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Colossians tells us that he holds our very cells together. This is the same God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who would take five loaves and two fish And later they would have to collect 12 basketfuls after 5,000 men had eaten, not including women and children, and the very next chapter doing that again. And and so we just see unbelievable things where he is trying to stretch us to understand who's really in charge of all of this. And and so I I want you to think about that as we go through this. Again, the greater mission is not to feed our bellies. That's what Paul's now going to shift gears with. Yes, you can eat that meat. But let's look at the greater mission here. So as believers in Christ, we have to be sensitive to our brothers and sisters. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. So Paul put this in context earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. He says, food is for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. And so he went on to say that the body is for the Lord. This is an, an instrument for God's use. He is he has a predetermined purpose for you. He saw all things before anything ever occurred. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 10. Uh, so he knows all things. This is the God who a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his knowing. So I mean, this is God of detail. Okay. So for those who belong to Christ, the ordinances of law were nailed to the cross. And and skipping down to verse 16 of Colossians chapter 2, it says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. However, Paul does have a word of warning in this, okay? So we understand we are not to be judged in this, and this is important for all brothers and sisters. We know that as we mature in our faith, we will understand more of these things. But he gives us a word of warning, warning here in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Okay, so this phrase, beware or take care, this is a command that we must continually obey. Christ's interest in the weaker brother is greater than his interest In you exercising your freedom. Yes, you have the freedom to do this, but not at the expense of your brother who's maturing in their faith. We don't want them tripping up. We don't want them to lose the progress that they're making in their walk with the Lord. So Paul acknowledges that we have liberty in Christ. Christian liberty is one of the central truths of the New Testament, after all, of John chapter 8. First uh, Corinthians excuse me 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Galatians 5, Romans 14 amongst many others. So it's, it's possible to use our freedom and become a stumbling block to our brothers in doing so. That would not be discernment. A stumbling block may begin as an offense or a distraction that leads a fellow believer into what is sin for him or her. So a stumbling block by definition is a circumstance that causes difficulty or hesitation. So, for example, the consumption of alcohol could fall into this category. Uh, We may have the ability, we may even have the freedom to partake of alcohol. In fact, Paul tells Timothy to use a little wine to help his stomach in 1 Timothy 5, 23. However, for some, a little wine could be a temptation, especially if they're a recovering alcoholic. Maybe they come out of a family where they've seen the abuse and the destruction from alcohol— you, without discernment, consuming alcohol in front of them could become a stumbling block to them. So it's imperative to use discernment with regard to anything we consume in the company of others, lest we create a stumbling block to them. Now, I'm going to read you a great deal of text here, but it's important to understand this. You go to Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. Now, I need you to listen to all of these words very carefully, okay? Here's what we read, 23 verses of Romans chapter 14. He covers this a great deal there. Here's what we read. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced In his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. And then he goes on and talks about the law of love. Here's where we pick up verse 14. He says, I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God. And approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. And then he goes on, and he finishes with this powerful word, verse, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Okay, do you see this? Practically speaking here, there are a number of illustrations that come to mind. Let me see if I can just... Share some of these with you just in brief. You know, I really enjoy Asian food, okay? Yet over the course of my life, I've entered into various Asian restaurants only to find idols there, okay? Now, I recognize that these idols are nothing. However, I would not take a new Christian who has just been saved, perhaps out of Buddhism or Hinduism, to such a restaurant. That would not be discerning. Now, I know that that little statue over there has no power, can neither speak nor eat nor hear, has no power. But to someone who has just left that culture, I would not take them to an Asian restaurant in, in that particular Asian restaurant, and you probably have one that you're familiar with, where you see some of those those idols all around, right? So you'd use discernment in that for the sake of your brother, perhaps somebody who is just very sensitive even to that culture and understanding what those idols meant, okay? So ever since I was a little boy, you know, I've enjoyed watching boxing and martial arts. Uh, I I have the freedom to watch this, but other Christians may not. I I need to be loving and respectful to them. If I sense this activity goes against a fellow brother's conscience, I I, I would refrain from talking about the subject in their their presence. I mean, I I don't want to offend their conscience in any way. Uh, I don't want to make them think I'm a lover of violence or anything like that, right? I have to use discernment in these things, I, I should also not invite those individuals to participate in any type of activity like that, right? So I, I am my brother's keeper. I really am to look out for my brother's best interest, right? And, and that's the self sacrifice that goes into this. Yes, or we are called to selflessness. We are called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, to think about these things before we indulge in them. The same thing if you go to a movie theater, if you're going to go watch a particular film, I think we should use great deal of caution in the films that we watch. But you would probably feel embarrassed if you just came out of a particular film and there was somebody you were trying to lead to Christ in your office, and they saw you coming out of that particular film. That might compromise your testimony or anything of value that you have to say to them. We have to use discernment in these things. So Paul now illustrates this point even further in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. He says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple... Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? <laughs> okay, so here we go. I mean, the knowledge that Paul's referring to goes back to everything we've covered here, 1 Corinthians 8, 1-4, that strong believers know that there's only one God. In verse 4, so the weaker believers can often be influenced by their past by the influence of others, rather than having this firm foundation in their faith. It hasn't matured yet. Perhaps they haven't really abided with the Lord, and they understand the, the illusions in this culture and who the true God is. So since they, they're following the lead of stronger believers because of their, fa- their, their past and all of those, those layers of their past, they may stumble. If they're observing the actions of a stronger believer who's indulging in some kind of freedom that could possibly cause them to second-guess, to think that there's hypocrisy perhaps. So the strong believers then must act responsibly and loving towards these other believers, even the weak ones, the superstitious ones, the legalistic ones, or even the baby ones. So so we must not condemn their immaturity, but be understanding of how our actions affect others who have been wounded by others or don't fully understand the depth of the word as related to each of these issues. We are our brother's keeper. So everyone has a history that can affect their present and impede their maturation in the faith. So we have to exercise patience and understanding as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5.20 on that. And let me read to you here, Galatians 5:13 to 14. We read, "For you brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So let's consider another scenario here. Do I have the biblical freedom to stock my refrigerator with bud, with bud light? Technically, the answer is yes. In fact, beer is probably healthier than some soft drinks. However, what would happen if a young man in our church was visiting at my home when I opened the fridge and, and, and saw this case of beer sitting there, and then after seeing my stash, he might think to himself, well, if Pastor John drinks freely, then maybe I can too. What <laughs> what if this young man comes from a family of alcoholics and is determined he doesn't he has this freedom perhaps to to drink that way too that maybe it wasn't so bad <laughs> my example could have a disastrous effect on this young man so in the end I choose to abstain from that biblical freedom that I have a freedom to do so it's not specifically outlined there that I can't do that. But I abstain from any biblical freedom like that for the sake of others, especially in my position. You can go to First Timothy three on that, and James three one. Besides, there is a brand reputation in our culture. There's this image that's portrayed by beer advertisers, which is one I believe that we as believers should just navigate carefully, perhaps avoid, because it's it's generally not the image of a Christ follower, right? So anything that we associate with. We need to be very mindful to whom we represent, right? So, so Paul gave advice on Timothy on using wine to assist his stomach ailments, as I mentioned earlier from First Timothy five twenty-three, and yet warns that we should not be drunk on wine in Ephesians five eighteen. So, Paul has already addressed the seriousness of a drunkard uh, from First Corinthians chapter five verse eleven and even uh, six nine to ten. So, the issue is is not just wine it's drunkenness okay so wine in and of itself is not the problem especially in light of the fact that Christ turned water to wine in John 2 1 to 11 but if you were tempted to overindulge then you should avoid it flee from that temptation of second Timothy chapter 2 James 1 and Matthew 26 41 so addiction to alcohol listen I, I've suffered. I, I've seen this. I've, my family has suffered. I have watched brokenness in my own family line over alcohol. That is why I, have, I refuse to give in. I will abstain because I see a greater mission and purpose to be set apart in this culture that is so given in to various addictions. Addiction to alcohol, listen, is a byproduct of brokenness and it's an epidemic in our society. 24 million Americans suffer from alcohol abuse. Okay, so my childhood, as I mentioned, was devastated by someone who couldn't stop drinking. So it's hard not to think about that pain whenever I even smell alcohol. So I might be classified then as a weaker brother by some who I may go out and have dinner with. But I am firm in my faith and understanding of the truth. Therefore, I'm not going to judge my brother if they exercise their freedom to consume alcohol. Drunkenness, however, would be a cause for great concern since the Bible takes a strong, firm position on this issue with more than a hundred scriptures dedicated to the topic. So I need only to remind you that in Galatians 5, 19-21 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10, we are told that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is a serious issue. So this should scare someone to their bones when they hear words like that. But drunkenness is the result of brokenness. And it's time to surrender that brokenness to God at the feet of Jesus and allow him to conform your desires from the inside out to transform your mind to the image of Christ so that you will be the man or woman whom God has called you to be. That brokenness you feel. Maybe you're maybe you're battling alcohol addiction right now. That brokenness you feel is real. I have known people who have turned to drugs or alcohol to numb that pain or wound that is so deep that most people could never understand it. And we see this even from Proverbs 31, 6-7. And my heart goes out to you. But those substances can never take away the pain. They will never make you well. Listen, if you're battling an addiction of any type, any substance, whether it even be to food or to alcohol or drugs even, I I will come to you right now. I will come alongside you. There are a number of people in our church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley who are willing to do the same. You are not alone. And if you want to beat it, then you have family at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley who care about you, and we will help you through this. Let me just say that it's easy for us who who, who look from the outside in sometimes, who may not battle those kind of addictions, say to drugs or to alcohol, to cast judgment when there's another addiction even out there that is rarely spoken of. We don't talk about gluttony. We don't talk about all the other addictions that people can give into. Maybe it's an addiction even to buying things, to find self-worth in those things you're, p- p- you're purchasing, the materialism that you think defines you. Maybe it's an out. There's all sorts of addictions, but even gluttony is one that we just don't even talk about A Proverbs 23 and 28 that speak on these issues, along with Deuteronomy 21, 20, Philippians 3, 19, Ezekiel 16, 49. I mean, there, there are all sorts of examples. You know that a Twinkie has between 135 and 150 calories per Twinkie, that, that means you'd have to walk for 35 minutes just to burn one Twinkie, and they come in a two-pack. So, you know, you can't just eat one. That means you're committed to walking for an hour and 10 minutes to burn the two-pack right there. So some of you may be thinking about it, and you're like, well, maybe that's worth the exchange. I mean, like an hour and 10 minutes, that's not so bad. It's worth it for the Twinkie. No, just Stop it. You and I both know you're not going to walk for an hour and 10 minutes. At least most of us won't. So here's the thing. Is a Twinkie something you shouldn't eat? Well, of course we, we know we shouldn't eat it. Is it forbidden in the Bible not to eat it? No. So what are we to do? Don't look for permission from me, but know that your body could probably handle a Twinkie once in a while if you have a balance in your diet with exercise and you're not battling diabetes nor eating in the company of someone who is battling their weight with high blood sugar. So you see, the issue the Church of Corinth was addressing— Regarding the division in the church over consuming meat that was previously used in a, a pagan ritual is still a very real issue today over how the things we are consuming and, and possibly even creating a stumbling block to our fellow brothers. It, this is a big issue. And, and we'll, let me just give you a preview then of where we're going to go here. Next week, we're going to pick up verses 11 to 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and he says, And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Oh, wow. You see, it just gets, it gets even bigger. There's so much more to cover here. And I just, I just want you to be encouraged in this, that, that, that Paul understands the, the dilemma we face even today. What he was talking about there wasn't just relevant in the first and second century. It is relevant even today, 2020. We're dealing with these issues today. How do we not be a stumbling block to our brothers? How do we not embarrass our testimony, who we are in Jesus Christ as ambassadors for Christ? And then this may feel like, well, I've got all these freedoms, but I can't use them. Yes, you can use them. The, the, the issue is how we use them, how we how we understand who we are in Christ and our bigger mission that is before us, to go and make disciples of all nations, right that we have a bigger responsibility to to take as many people as we possibly can to heaven right to stand before almighty god and, and to worship him forever and ever right i mean th- we've got a much bigger responsibility here than what we're putting in our bellies so when we put our eyes on the prize it's a lot easier than to taper all of those freedoms that we may have to to put them back on on where they're supposed to be that these freedoms were given but with freedom comes great responsibility And that's what we're going to talk a little bit more about next week. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you're at least convicted. Maybe just go and re-listen to some of the earlier broadcasts on this. Read it for yourself. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you need some encouragement right now, maybe you're dealing with some addiction of some sort, reach out to us at calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. There you'll find our, our email addresses, our phone numbers we're a friendly group. We're going to, we're going to love on you. I I could tell you that services are 8am and 10am. We would love to see you there. God bless you, my friends.